Hello everyone and welcome to the Adventure Options Podcast. This week I had the pleasure of interviewing Mark Mulvey, who is a tour guide in Ireland. We talk about his entry into the tour guiding world, as well as what he loves most about Ireland. As always, this podcast is sponsored by Adventure Writers, copywriting for the travel industry. If you need a copywriter, go to adventurewriters.agency for help. That's Adventure, W-R-I-T-E-R-S dot agency. Now for the show. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Shana. I'm really excited to interview you. I usually go into these interviews thinking, oh, I'm going to um, gain a lot of knowledge. We're going to talk about things that are very important, which I'm sure is something that we will do. But I got to tell you, I'm most excited about this interview because I just feel like I'm going to be entertained. Well, I hope I live up to your expectations, Shana. <laughs> well, when you sent me that little blurb, kind of, you know, background information about yourself. I was just dying. You're, you're a hilarious writer. <laughs> well, I try to amuse myself as much as I can. Well, I think what I love is that it's funny because it's a, everything you said was at least partially true. And so it was hilarious. Well, you should never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make that my motto. <laughs> so somebody famous did say that once was it I, you um, no no somebody somebody famous that said <laughs> so tell me tell me a little bit about yourself you grew up in ireland right that's correct and your friend you were born there right yeah and say i was never born i was just created you were created in Ireland. Yeah. As far as you know. <laughs> yeah. Everybody and, who lives in Ireland was created rather than born. Oh, is that what they say? Yeah, because we're all unique, you see. When God it, made us, he broke the mold. Oh, I like that. I like a little fiery um, personality. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me... Or tell our listeners how you got into the adventure travel world, because that story is quite fascinating as well. Yeah, well, like everything else in my life, it uh, was not planned. And when I left uh, college, I had studied environmental management. And three years earlier, when I went for the interview for that course, the guy who was running the course says, you know, you'll never get a job out of this course there's literally no jobs in the environment in ireland this is a brand new thing and i've been not very practical says that's okay <laughs> and then three years later i left college and i had to start thinking what on earth am i going to do and how am i going to make a living so i began looking at the newspapers to see what am i going to do are there any jobs so among the jobs for um, really, really badly paid things and really, really uninteresting things. There was one ad only that seemed to make some sense to me, and that was looking for a tour guide on an archaeological site known as the Hill of Tara. So I applied, and I don't know how many other people applied, 
but before I went for the interview, I went off to visit this archaeological site to see what I could find out about it. Uh, I bought a little book, a little thin book. It was the only book that was available about it. And I read the book and I went for the interview and apparently I was the last person to be interviewed. And they said, did you read anything about this place before you came for the interview? And from their tone, I said, oh, no, I must have done really badly. <laughs> and I said, yes, I did. I read the only little book that I could get my hands on. And they says, well, that's great because nobody else did. <laughs> oh, really? No one researched? Nobody had done any research before they came. I was the only one who had read the book. <laughs> so I got the job. That's awesome. Now, the thing about it was, though, from the description and the advertisement, I didn't know what a tour guide did. I just thought that it was better than becoming a bin man or something like that. <laughs> so, I, I, like being young and naive, I literally had to research in pre-internet days what a tour guide actually did. I'd never been on a guided tour. I'd never been to a historical site with a guide. So, I totally went along not known a thing about it. And then I realized I'm going to have to talk to people. Now, I'm Irish, so I know how to talk to people. We are born talking. <laughs> You're created and, talkers. Yeah. So when Irish people wake up, the first thing they do, sometimes even before they wake up, is start talking and don't stop talking until they go to bed at night. <laughs> so I said, so. I think I have some family members who might be Irish. <laughs> oh, we might be related. <laughs> So I said, so you're going to pay me to talk? And they said, yeah. I said, this is fantastic. This is the ideal job for me. <laughs> so I stayed there for uh, three years. And at the end of the third year, a man came with a very large group of people. And they walked up the hill and I realized there was something different about it. I said, I have to talk to these people, you know, I just have to talk to them. You know the way you get these kind of strange ideas and you know you have to go with them? So I walked out and I said, would you like a guided tour of this archaeological site? And they said, no, uh, A, we've no interest in a guided tour and B, we've no budget to pay for it anyway. And I said, don't worry about that. We're doing free guided tours here. They said, that's okay. Let's do a guided tour then. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a guided tour with them uh, around the hill. And I said, how long have you got, by the way? And they said about a half an hour. And two and a half hours later, we were still talking. They had such a great interest in the place. And when they had finished, we had such a laugh and we learned so much from each other. They asked me, would I go around on the coach with them? because they were going around Ireland for the rest of the week. And I said, oh, I can't. I have to stay here. I only do tours of this place, you know. Yeah. So three years later, I was sitting down reading a book, uh, half kind of listening to the television, and a movie came on. And the movie happened to be a biography of Shirley MacLaine. And I heard a man's voice. And I said, I know that voice. I know that voice from somewhere. Then I realized it was this same man, Kevin Ryerson, who I had met on the archaeological site and whose group I had given a tour to. I cannot believe you could remember his voice from three years earlier. See, in my neck of the woods, we don't meet many people from the southern states 
of the USA. Oh, so, so the accent. The accent, yeah. He was about the only person I had ever heard before who talked slower than I did. (laughs) 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 Because on day one of the um, our training to become tour guides, we were told speak slowly because a lot of the people coming here aren't going to have perfect English, you know. So I began talking very, very slowly, but about three seconds between each word. <laughs> and they said, I know we said slowly, but not that slowly. You don't have to take it to the extreme. <laughs> oh, yeah. But when I heard this man, I said, yes, I recognize that long, slow, dulcet southern accent and it was kevin ryerson playing himself in the movie which was the biography of shirley mclean and he was a spiritual mentor to her so what do you know i got a job going around with kevin bringing a group the next year he said can you bring a group around ireland for me and i said well as you know i only do the one place the hill it was the hill of Tara, right the Hill of Tara, yeah. Like Gone with the Wind Tara. Yeah. Sort of. Long story. Google it, everybody. <laughs> I, right? We don't have to we don't have to walk around trying to research it. We can just Google it. <laughs> yeah. Tara, T A R A. Not to be confused with the Indian goddess Tara. I should literally take the whole interview to explain how fantastic the Hill of Tara is. Well, give me the really quick version of why people go there. What is the historical situation? Well, it's been important during the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, the early Christian period, the Viking period, the Norman period, the Tudor period, and on up to the present day. Everybody has been there. It was a place that was ruled by the High Kings of Ireland. The High Kings, as the name suggests, were male and they had two wives. One was a physical queen, a woman, and the other was the earth goddess. So if they didn't keep the earth goddess happy, if the crops failed, if there was pestilence or people died or the cattle weren't thriving, they killed the king. Oh, that's extreme. Yeah. Kingship in ancient Ireland wasn't hereditary. You had to be able to prove to people by good deeds that you were keeping the earth goddess happy. Wow. Mm. So, of course, Kevin loved all these stories about Tara, and he asked me, could I do a tour of Ireland? And I said, well, you know, I only do one place. He said, well, surely you could do a tour of the whole of Ireland. You know, you live there. And I said, yeah, sure, if I had maybe six months to research it. When are you coming, by the way? And he said, in three days' time. (laughs) (laughs) So I got in my car and I drove for three days and three nights researching everywhere we were supposed to go and everything we were supposed to do because I had, by the way, said yes (laughs) (laughs) without knowing that there was only three days to prepare. (laughs) 
So I had a ball, an absolute fantastic time. I realized that this was all I wanted to do, to go traveling around. And well, and I isn't spent it the fun? next... Isn't it fun learning about a place that you lived, you know, your whole life and maybe didn't research the little things? It, like, that's what's always fascinating to me is when I live next to something or next to a park or a historical landmark or whatever, and it takes me several years to ever get over there and learn about it. And then I'm like, wow, this has been in my backyard the whole time. Absolutely. And the thing about it is, it's like... um when people come on holidays to a place, they always say to themselves, okay, let's get a guidebook and let's see what the cool places to go are. So number one would be a visit to a cathedral. Number two, a visit to, let's say, a museum. Number three, a visit to some scenic park. And I kind of thought to myself, do people go to these places when they're at home? Like, how many people actually go to the local cathedral or the local museum or the local kind of scenic park? Not very often. Maybe right. a couple of times in a lifetime they go to the cathedral or the museum, usually on a school tour, and then never go there again. Right. So I said, okay, let's do something a little bit different. You know, if I'm bringing people to places rather than talking all day long about history and archaeology and geology and all the other ologies. <laughs> I'm sure people would really like to know what Irish people think about and what they're doing in all those little houses in there as and they're looking out the window at the tour coach going by. And what they're eating and what they're drinking. <laughs> exactly. What they're eating, what they're drinking, what they're talking about, what they're thinking about, what it is about the people in this country that makes them tick, that makes them get up in the morning. You know, so that's the approach I take. Normal stuff. That's beautiful. And so did you have people, just like local people, that invited you guys into their homes? Or how did you do that? How did you explore that with the travelers? Well, it is hard because, um, you know, within the tourism industry, when people are planning their trip, they don't ever really think to themselves, I want to sit down in an Irish person's kitchen and watch them drinking tea and eating eggs and muffins or whatever it is that Irish people eat. People look at an itinerary and they say, wow, this itinerary covers the whole country of Ireland or Britain or France or whatever. So let's go on that. Right. Not realizing that that's going to entail getting up every morning before the seagulls and the crows and every other beast of the field and the flying in the air gets up and drive, drive, drive all day long to see everything. So what I try to do is try to slow things down so that everything you do experience, you experience at a, a pretty gentle pace. And I suggest to people, now, when we get here, I'm going to talk for a little bit of time, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about what you're looking at, or what you're going to experience here. And then I want you to go in there and talk to anybody that you see that looks like a local. You see? And that's how you get to meet the local people in the little villages that we stop in 
in the restaurants, the bars that people are visiting. I said, don't just talk to me because I'm just one person. You know, in a professional capacity, talk to as many other people as you can. Now, that's kind of a risk for me because I know that every other local person is going to absolutely disagree with everything that I have told everybody so far. <laughs> <laughs> they will say, no, no, don't listen to anything that he tells you. Don't listen to I'm Mark. Going to, yeah, I'm going to tell you the truth. The real story. Ooh. Yeah. Because everybody has their own version of events. But I do tell people that, you know, because <laughs> otherwise everybody will come back to the boss with a completely different story. <laughs> you know, as far as <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that's absolutely a okay because I want people to experience a different point of view. Right, and to have that um, cultural experience. <laughs> absolutely, and I'll tell you one thing: one big mistake that people make when they come to Europe, and I told you about this before, Shana, is they go to bed far too early. European people do not go to bed early. And most people in Europe tend to start wakening up about 10, 11 p.m. That's when their day really starts. That's when they let their hair down. And that's when they start deciding whether to go out for the night or not. Mark, I think I might have been born on the wrong continent. The wrong side of the wrong continent, I think. (laughs) I am such a night owl. I actually texted one of my business partners this morning and just said, you know, when we're done with this project, I think our new project needs to be to convince everybody to start their work days at 11 instead of (laughs) 8. I think I was born on the wrong continent. It sounds sounds lovely. I could stay up all night. I just don't want to wake up in the morning. Oh, well, that's another story because these people have had a lifetime of doing this. So they are well used to getting up very early in the morning. Yeah. I I don't know how you could do that. No, in order to enjoy yourself when you go on holidays, you have to be able to suffer a certain amount of sleep deprivation. (laughs) Or sleep on the bus. Isn't that why isn't that why you take a bus so you can sleep on the bus? Well, I can't because sometimes I'm driving. You're the one driving? Yeah, probably wouldn't be a good idea for you. (laughs) Mm. Oh yeah. Well, people love it when I say, wake me up when we get there. (laughs) (laughs) It it freaks people out. (laughs) Well, and you you did take a time a a spell there, like 15 years, didn't you say, where you were actually doing tours all over um, the UK and Europe? Yeah, that's right. Italy, Greece, Malta. um, And did you just study the the places you were going to? And then, I mean, because this is still pre-Google, right? That's right. And it was so much better (laughs) (laughs) pre-Google. Because if anybody knew anything at all about anything, people thought that they were a wonderful expert because they'd actually taken the time to sit down and read a few books. Nowadays, you'd kind of imagine that with Google, people don't really need a guide. They could just sit there on the coach going around Googling as they go 
But you see, people don't want to do that. People use their phone and their laptop to send messages back home or to send photos of where they are. When people are on holiday, they don't really want to work too hard by Googling all the information as they go. Right. Because I remember when everybody got smartphones, guides became scared because they said, oh, no, everybody's going to be Googling everything that we're saying as we're going along. And then we'll have to know absolutely everything about absolutely everywhere. We can't get anything wrong. And I said to them, no, I'll tell you what you do. Go to the everywhere you're going, go to the first search result in Google and look at what that says. And if you know that, then nobody's going to argue with you because, <laughs> because nobody's going to go past the first, first search result. Wow, we could, also, do, we could do a whole show on the power of Google and the power they hold over the industry. <laughs> well, having kind of fretted about Google for like a couple of months, I said, do you know, the internet has not got the information that books have. Somehow or other, the books, the information that's in books and periodicals and magazines has not fully transferred over to the internet yet. I really think the only way to get a good in-depth understanding of something is to read a good book or talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Very true. So what mm. what pulled you back to Ireland when you're out and about doing these tours all over Europe? What pulled you back to Ireland? Well, I just love Ireland. And it's where I grew up, and it's the place I know the most about. And it's beautiful. It is. It is absolutely sensationally beautiful. It's the most westerly point in Europe. St. Patrick was said to have stood on the west coast. He looked out and he said, this is the end of the earth beyond which there is nothing. They didn't know America was over there at the time, so sorry right. about that. <laughs> we forgive you. <laughs> mm. It is. That's beautiful. So how how long have you been back in Ireland? Well, I never really left. I mean, because Ireland is in Europe. It's just an island on the periphery of Europe. So if I'm doing a tour in Europe, I just catch a plane. Right. Or, uh, I, I mean, how ferry. long have you been back doing tours in Ireland as your main, like, uh, about 12, 12 years? Nice. And do you work with other companies or is this all on your own? Yeah. Basically, my philosophy always was whoever picks up the phone first gets me, as <laughs> long as it's a reasonable proposition. <laughs> You're, you're not back in the days where you're doing free tours? <laughs> no, I only did that once. <laughs> I did that if, I, once. if I bring a famous actress, you will? <laughs> yeah, call me up, put the right? proposition to me, and I'll say yes or no. That's awesome. So how are people finding you? What's your website? Do you have a website? I used to have a website. And one day it just completely disappeared. I think I had forgotten to pay the money or whatever to GoDaddy. Oh, yeah. The domain charge mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, I don't, to be totally honest with you, I don't actually feel as if I need a website. I've 10 times more work than I could ever do. Just by word of mouth? Yeah, yeah. That says a lot about you as a tour guide, if you're having that much work just by word of mouth. Yeah, and you see, the unfortunate thing is I've never mastered the art of bilocation, so I can only do one tour at a time. <laughs> That's very true. You haven't tried to clone yourself yet? <laughs> <laughs> no. Not but yet. But I can work on it. <laughs> Other people have tried, but with disastrous results. So who's your? what are your favorite types of groups to take around Ireland? You're from the USA, right, Shana? Yep, so you better say the U.S. No, I'm, I'm going to say the, US, the <laughs> USA. But I have listeners all over, so you're going to piss someone off regardless. Oh, so why don't you just tell okay. me the truth? What's your favorite well, group to take around? Well, then in that case, I love everybody equally, no matter where they're from. Equally. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely equally. You cannot play that yet. Okay, what type of group, though? Do you like to take families? Do you like to take groups of friends? Do you like to take, um, you know, like what kinds of groups do you like? To, or do you take all of them? I take all of them. I have the smallest group I've ever had was one. And the biggest group I've ever had, I think, was as many as could fit on the biggest bus in Europe, which was about 70 people. Wow. Yeah. And you might think, mm, well, with 70 people, it'd be harder work than it would with, uh, let's say, a family or whatever. But right. one great thing about a big group is, especially if people don't know each other, they're much less likely to fight than a family are. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't fight with me. <laughs> well you get a group of people you know grown-up siblings or whatever who suddenly begin to remember 45 years later about the time that their brother locked them in a cupboard and hit them with hard shoes every time they tried to get out (laughs) and the dynamic is incredible (laughs) it's brilliant fun that's so true. <laughs> we, we are a little, we are a little more reserved and polite with strangers. It's true. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like as if I'm a referee or the umpire, whatever you call them, in a wrestling match. You know, when everyone's throwing each other around the ring and slamming each other into the ground. Oh yeah, I'm I do there not now. know what you call it in wrestling, but yes, mm, I know who the guy who kind of keeps control right the bouncer <laughs> I don't know. yeah yeah that kind of thing that's awesome so what is your favorite part about ireland like if you had to whittle it down to your very favorite thing about ireland what is it the people because i know that if i'm going around myself if i get into trouble which I seldom do, but if I did, let's say you had a bus tire or something, I yeah. know that practically everybody that I asked for help would stop and try to help. Even if they couldn't help, even if they had no mechanical aptitude, even if they had no phone with them, they would say, I'm going to fix that for you. <laughs> with no clue of how they were going to do it. 
And they wouldn't fix it because they don't know how. <laughs> but they would know somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who would be available to come and fix it for me, you know? Oh, I love that. Uh, the way I feel about it is the people who go around with me on tours have paid a lot of money. They've come a long way. They've got very high expectations. So I hope that not just I treat them well, but that everybody in Ireland, you know, from the hotel receptionist, to the person serving their dinner, to the bank teller, whoever, is going to treat them equally as well. And I was looking at some statistics recently, actually, as a little bit of background research for doing this interview with you, Shana. Uh And I came across a very interesting statistic, which was that 99% of people who visit Ireland go home saying that they found Irish people very friendly and very helpful. And I said, that's fantastic. 99% found the Irish people helpful and friendly. But then I thought about it and I said, I'd like to talk to those people. I might like to meet those people. The people I'd really like to talk to are the 1% who don't think that. And be like, hey, why don't you think we're friendly? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I have no clue about the 1%. The one percent are the grouches who it doesn't matter what you do, they're gonna be upset. The one percent are the brothers who were fighting who remembered about the covered thing and just walked away sour. That's who the one percent are. <laughs> That's correct. That's a really high percentage. <laughs> like I don't know if there's anywhere else in the world that would come away with that high of a percentage. And there's great people everywhere. But that's a pretty good uh that's a pretty yeah. good number. It's as close to perfect as you can get. <laughs> I agree. You're never going to get... It's better, yeah. That's a, that's a really high... I, I'm, I, I think when you first sent it to me, I thought, now, is, he, is this one of those don't let the truth get in the way of a good story? <laughs> or, is this, <laughs> or is this real? But you're saying it's real. It is, and that statistic comes from Falcha, Ireland. Falcha is a Gaelic word that means welcome, and Falcha, Ireland are kind of like the Irish Tourism Authority. They do research every year, and they put out all these statistics, and I find those statistics kind of interesting. So I looked them up, and 99% looked like a high figure, so I looked up to see what was 99%. These figures date back to 2017. Okay. Nice. Two years ago. So I suppose the tourism season hasn't started. So it's one year behind. So unless everybody in Ireland became absolutely horrible in just one year, <laughs> I think that's the cor- <laughs> pretty much an up-to-date. Uh, if, if nothing else would make you want to visit Ireland, I think that should. And frankly, I don't even want to know our number in the U.S. I don't want to know it. I, I know it's not 99%. <laughs> I just don't even want to know what it is. <laughs> Well, I've been to America and I found everybody that I met absolutely lovely. Oh, I love America, but I know mm. not everybody is. <laughs> I mean, people came up to me who didn't know me and listened to my accent and said, oh, you're going to have to come around for dinner. And can I give you a lend of my car? Because I was young 
I was a college kid. I didn't have a car. And I said, well, you can give me your car if you want, but I don't have a driver's license and I don't know how to <laughs> drive. With it. <laughs> and they still said, that's okay. <laughs> you can learn. You know, I appreciated that. That's really sweet. Where were you? Cape Cod. Oh, nice. Mm. The opposite. So, uh, I did drive somebody's car one day against all advice. It was a car that was started with a screwdriver, so I should have known that there was something <laughs> up. And I drove down to the local grocery store. I didn't know how to stop because I thought that the clutch was the brake or the brake was the clutch. It was a stick shift car, you know, on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> Nearly <laughs> ran into <laughs> There were three old guys sitting outside in the shade of some sort of a pine tree, and they ran for their lives. <laughs> I don't think they had moved that fast for about 45 years. That, that sounds a lot like my first car. There was a hole in the bottom of the car that went all the way to the road. And so we stuck a piece of plywood across the hole so that your feet wouldn't fall through to the <laughs> That was my first car. <laughs> 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 you you got to start out like that so you really really appreciate when you get a nice new car absolutely well mark this has been lovely chatting why don't you leave our listeners with a piece of advice like what what would you tell people who want to come to ireland to explore to visit what's your advice for them I would say bring half the amount of stuff that you think you're going to need so that you arrive with a a light suitcase. Bring double the amount of money that you have budgeted for. And then that means you've got a little bit of leeway, you know, rather than trying to save money on holiday. Don't do it. You'll only depress yourself. Just go crazy. Do your bit for the Irish economy. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Amen. Well, thank you, Mark. It has been lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Shana. Thank you for inviting me on. It's been wonderful. 